Good evening. Are we blessed? Abundantly blessed. You know, you can figure out that you're blessed in a number of ways. One of the ways you can be reminded that you're blessed is that you're here tonight. There's a lot of people uh, in our congregation, some who are older, who can't get here on Wednesdays or can't get here at all. Uh, they're, you know, sick and shut-ins, those who are ill, those who've had accidents, those who would love to be here but can't. But then you also have to think about this. Even in our challenges, even in, in the things that we go through, as bad as they are, we have hope. We have hope. The world doesn't have hope. And uh, hope is a precious thing. Faith, hope, and love. But hope is a precious thing. So we have that. We have hope. We, we, we have the ability to be here. And, and despite all of the challenges we, we face in life, we, we have support. We're not alone. Right? Look around. There are people here who want to encourage you and support you. And you have a church home and a place where people will love you and care about you. That's more than most people in this world will ever have. And so just always good to count your blessings. You know, you want to focus on the positive. Not, not to be idealistic, but we really do have so much, don't we? Amen? Well, this evening, we continue in our series of studies in the book of Proverbs. I've been enjoying this study for a number of reasons. Number one, I don't have to work that hard. The Proverbs teach themselves. I actually receive more, more than, than I give here because, to be honest with you, we read through these Proverbs, and we just, you know, I'll share a few things or maybe make some application. But they really do teach themselves. And so there are a collection of sayings in this section in chapters 10 through chapters uh, 22, half of chapter 22. There really are just various sayings. So sometimes the sayings are connected, sometimes they're not. But all of them point to the, to the wisdom of God, the theme of this book, God's wisdom. God wants to impart to us his wisdom that we might apply it in our lives and be blessed. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you want us to be blessed, that you desire good things, and not only desire them for us, but you have given us your word, and specifically the book of Proverbs, to teach us and instruct us and help to correct us and discipline us in such a way that we would live for you and apply your wisdom in our lives with the really the sole purpose to be a blessing and to be blessing to others, uh, but also to be blessed. And so, Lord, we look to your word this evening to help us to understand these truths. Give us the ability by your spirit to understand these truths and apply them to our lives, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let's dig right in. We are in chapter 15 of the book of, excuse me, chapter 14 of the book of Proverbs. And we're going to just look at chapters 14 and 15. There's a lot here. And so pretty much going through like two chapters uh, every Wednesday that we study together. <clears throat> now, each of these have their own power and our own application. But the first is very interesting in chapter 14. Uh, in fact, this entire chapter has to do with reaping the results of the life we sow. And not only in this life, but the next. So it's fair to say we reap results of the life we sow in this life and in the next. So the blessings are twofold, now and for all eternity. And so as we look at this in chapter 14, let's see what it says. We start with verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. 
And that just goes to show you the power, first of all, of any person, but especially of a woman, and especially as it relates to her household, her family, because women have a prominent role in the home in this culture that we're studying, but also in our culture today, but especially back then. Men were typically out working, out of the home most of the day. Women were in the home most of the day. And the wise woman builds her house. That does things that lift up those in the house. And, and the analogy is like, you know, if you are building up your house, if you were actually building a house, you'd be putting all of the bricks in place, right? And you'd be building up a wall or whatever. But a foolish woman would take the bricks out of the wall and then the house would fall. And it's an analogy. It helps us to understand what happens when we build up the family or we tear it down. And so it's a beautiful uh, proverb that gives us a great deal of wisdom. Notice with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Verse 2, he who, whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. That helps me to understand why people really hate God who are devious and are doing the wrong things. Of course they despise God. They, they don't want to be accountable. Verse 3, a fool's talk brings a rod to his back. Now, a rod was a way of being corrected. Uh, so that's what we're really talking about here. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but notice the lips of the wise protect them. The lips of the wise protect them. So you see, you have a situation where what someone says brings that discipline, that correction, because it's a foolish person saying the wrong things. But the person that speaks the right things, the lips of the wise, protects them. Protect them. You are protecting yourself by saying the right things, by speaking in the right way. You're not going to bring correction on yourself. Verse 4, where there are no oxen, the manger or the feeding trough is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. Now, this is a deep proverb, okay, because it's not just talking about oxen. Okay, first of all, look, there, where there are no oxen, you don't have any oxen, okay, the manger's empty, the feeding trough's empty for two reasons. You don't have any oxen, right, because you don't need to feed oxen you don't have, but also if you don't have oxen, then you're not going to be able to plow your field, then you're not going to be able to plant your grain or, or whatever it is you feed the oxen, and as a result, you're not going to have anything to put in the manger. So you see that it's, it's twofold. But then it also says, but from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest, which is more than just the grain that goes into the trough. So you'll use that grain to feed the animals that bring in the harvest, but that grain also goes above and beyond that and feeds all those within the household. I think you can look at this in another way. It kind of is a subtle message for those of us who are lazy. You see, if you're not going to work, you're not going to eat. It's that simple. The Bible says as much in the New Testament. So I think there's a lot of things you could look at in this proverb and gain from it. Well, verse 5, a truthful witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. And so, of course, that's pretty obvious. Uh, a truthful witness doesn't deceive. Someone who's telling the truth is not looking to deceive, but obviously someone who's a false witness does. Verse 6, the mocker seeks wisdom and finds none. But knowledge comes easily. That's the key word there. Easily to the discerning. Have you ever sought knowledge? Have you ever just sought to find something out? It can be, and when knowledge is a little different than wisdom. I often think of knowledge as information, right? Wisdom is how to apply that information. 
but knowledge is the information itself. So the mocker seeks wisdom. You know, he's seeking a, a way to apply his knowledge, but he doesn't find any because he's not wise. He's a mocker. He seeks something he refuses to receive, really. But notice, knowledge comes so easily to the discerning because they are discerning. They do have wisdom. So I guess the the message here is, if you are applying God's wisdom, you'll have the information and the knowledge you need in life. So wisdom brings knowledge. Fear of the Lord brings wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, as we know. Okay, verse 7. This is good advice. Stay away from a foolish man. For you will not find knowledge on his lips. Verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent, which is another word for someone who's wise, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But folly is of fools is deception. So here's his interesting idea. The wisdom of the prudent, their wisdom tells them, think think a little. Give thought to your ways. Have you ever stopped and thought about something before you did it? So many times we rush into things and we don't take the time to think, to strategize, to be strategic, to think, if I do this, what are the results of my decision, my behavior, my actions? Uh, I guess it was Denny, Pastor Denny on Sunday, who said, when you drop a, a rock in a pond, the ripples go out from where that rock goes into the pond and affect all the way out to the shore. It affects everything in the pond. And I don't think we always think it all the way through, but we need to, and wise people will. But notice, the folly of fools is deception. They deceive themselves into thinking, well, everything will be fine. Notice verse 9 again, fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. This is interesting because sin can mean just failing. It can mean just missing the mark, coming up short. It doesn't always mean transgressing. It doesn't always mean willfully doing the wrong thing. Sometimes we just say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, hurt someone's feelings. So when we sin, when we fall short, fools, they mock at making amends. But a wise person realizes they may need to make amends. And to make amends, it's actually one of the uh, steps in 12-step, right? So to make amends, it's to try to make things right. To, to try to correct as much as you can the sins of your past. A fool mocks that, but a wise person takes it seriously. Notice the result is that goodwill is found among the upright. You receive goodwill because you make amends. You, you, when you do the right thing, you, you, oftentimes in business even, we'll make a decision to do something, you, you know, you, 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 you take care of somebody, you, you give them a freebie, you, give, you, you do something for them, take them out, because you're trying to gain goodwill so that you can do business with the person. We do that in business all the time. But this is also true in life, outside of business. Goodwill is found among the upright. Why? Upright tried to do the right thing. You know, I often wonder about people who go into a restaurant and they order and they treat the person bringing the food to them in, in a bad way. I have to think about this. This person, not that they would, but they could poison you. I mean, if they really wanted to, they could really mess with your food, right? So the last person I would want to mess with would be the person bringing me something to drink or bringing me something to eat. And yet people do it all the time, right? I want goodwill from the person that's bringing me food. (laughs) I do. So not from purely selfish motives, but I also enjoy blessing people 
who are serving me. And, you know, these people are getting paid, but, you know, they, they live on tips. And I often think, you have an opportunity every time you walk into a restaurant and someone serves you or a diner or wherever to, 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 to gain goodwill. You know, Michelle and I, we've done that. We, we, we frequent a few restaurants on Sundays, especially after church. We go out to eat every Sunday. And you try to build a relationship a little bit with the servers. You see them frequently, right? I mean, and they take good care of you. They, they sit you at the good table or they, or they come out with a free appetizer. I mean, there's some restaurants, I haven't paid for a cup of coffee in this one restaurant in years just because they, they don't even put it on the bill. And that's partially because we bring a lot of business, but it's goodwill. Why are we not trying to cultivate goodwill with people in every area of our lives? It actually is a blessing, but it's found among the upright. Verse 10, this is a deep proverb. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. There's your contrast, bitterness and joy. But you never know what someone is going through. And that's why it says each heart knows its own bitterness. Nobody can know your bitterness. And bitterness can be bitterness of circumstances. I don't really think the application here is like the bitterness of being a bitter person. It's the bitter circumstances. The bitterness of life. Tragedies. You know, you may not realize it, but, and this has happened to me, uh, even recently, where you're speaking about something and you just don't know that what you're speaking about is actually affecting someone who's in the room. You could be talking, and, and you got to watch this, because here's an example. You can talk about the situation in our country, right? Like, let's say you're talking about gender dysphoria, the many problems that people are having because they don't have God in their lives. They're confused about who they are. They're confused about a lot of things. And so they, they oftentimes, in their confusion, listen to the voices that tell them, that, you know, God didn't make them the way they are. And so they're thinking, I'm going to find fulfillment outside of my, my biological gender. I'm going to try to do something that uh, the world is not only condoning, but celebrating. And I'm going to get attention. Because think about it, when someone steps out, they feel lonely, they feel like nobody cares. And they come out and they say something very woke and, and very progressive. People just applaud them. So now they've chosen to do something like that, Right. And you're, you're talking about it. You're having a conversation, maybe a church. Isn't it terrible? You can't believe this, this whole agenda, right? But you don't realize that the person in the pew next to you has a relative, maybe a child, someone in their life, a neighbor, who's caught up in that. So we have to be sensitive because, as it says here, each heart knows its own bitterness. You don't know the bitterness of heart that someone else is going through. So I found myself being more sensitive you know, about those types of conversations, having them more privately and not looking to have them more publicly. I mean, what I'm sharing here from the pulpit is truth, and I'm not saying it to be um, insensitive. It's truth. What I'm actually saying is you have to be sensitive because many there may be people in this room this evening who have loved ones in their life who are confused about these types of things and other things. And so when you speak, just remember, each heart, knows its own bitterness. But notice it also says, and no one else can share its joy. So you're joyful about something. And, you know, but no one else can really share that joy. Only you know the joy of the circumstance you're going through. So the contrast is your heart can know bitterness, your heart can know joy. But the lesson is that nobody really knows what's going on in someone else's life. All the more reason to be sensitive in the things we say, which is really the overwhelming theme 
of this section of the book of Proverbs, actually most of the book of Proverbs, be careful how you live, be careful what you say. All right? So I'm diving in there a little bit and making application. Verse 11, and this is a reoccurring theme, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Now there's, there's, there's contrast, two contrast there in the poetry. The house of the wicked and the tent of the upright. So in this particular proverb, you have a house, a wicked person has a house, the upright person has a tent, but notice the house is destroyed, the tent flourishes. It's, it's a double contrast to kind of make its point. Essentially what it's telling us is that truth that Jesus told us in the parable of the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. You know, so it's the same idea. But the poetry of it should not be missed. Okay, verse 12. And that's Hebrew poetry, by the way. The contrasts and the parallels, and that's how it works. Not by rhyme. Verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Oh my goodness, you could preach a whole sermon on this. I mean, that's what people are going through today. Men and women, they're going in a way that it it seems, to them, it seems right. It does. In the book of Judges, it said that everyone did, it says a couple times, everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. And if you live that way, following the way that seems right to a man or a woman, notice, in the end, it leads to death. And now that's spiritually, but it's also in life. I mean, you have a world telling us that things are okay. I, I just as one example. Uh, for years, I was told as a young person, say no to drugs. Okay? Because I grew up in the 80s. Say no to drugs. And we were told that marijuana was a gateway drug. And we were told that it was bad for you, that the chemicals would change your brain chemistry, and that in general, you should stay away from it. Right? So it can, it's a drug that can lead to other drugs, but just as importantly, it affects your brain chemistry, especially in young people. It can cause you to be very unmotivated. It affects you. The THC, and it is, it's dangerous. It's bad for you, right? Okay. But now the common way of thinking is legalize it because it's not bad for you. But we know it's bad. And yet we legalize it. So there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And that's just one issue. There are so many areas of our culture today that that's true in. It's just, I, I wish we would realize that God's word is, is, is the answer to what's right and what's wrong. But the way that seems right, it's, it, it leads to death. Notice in verse 13, even in laughter, so someone's laughing, they're happy, the heart may ache. And joy may end in grief. Again, this has to do with being sensitive to others. Because think about it. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. So someone's laughing, they're having a good time. What you don't know is inside their their heart is broken. So look past the, oh, he's fine, he's laughing, he's having a good time. Maybe not. Maybe they're kind of covering up. I had a friend uh, when I was in my my early walk with Christ who was a comedian, basically. He was always making jokes. Funniest guy to spend time with. But, you know, when he hugged you, he held you a little, almost too hard, like just, you could, you could sense an anger somewhere deep inside. And I remember I challenged him one time, and we were in discipleship, and I was discipling him and helping him. And he just sort of snapped, and the truth came out. And, you know, he was very, very bitter, very, very angry person. But he masqueraded behind a, the clowning and the joking and the being silly. 
and fun to be with. So many comedians, by the way, are depressed. Did you know this? I mean, many of them, they, they, their life ends in death because they're making jokes. They're very funny, but their heart's really broken on the inside. This has happened to so many people. I was uh, listening to, I guess it was John Mulvaney, I think his name is, and apparently he had a real substance abuse problem. Uh, another comedian, I, some of these guys are from SNL. I don't watch SNL, but you know, I read the newspaper. Uh, I guess it was Pete Davidson was another one. These people, everyone applauds them as being so, so funny. Chris Farley, John Belushi, so many people, oh, they're so funny. Meanwhile, you find out they're aching, their heart's broken. And so there's an example. You, you just got to look past the, the laughter and notice enjoy may end in grief. Their, their life ends in grief, even though they appear to be joyful. So be sensitive to others. Use wisdom. Look beyond that facade that so many people have, covering up their pain. Notice verse 14. The faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good man rewarded for his. That's that what you sow, you reap. Verse 15. The simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. And, and speaking of the simple, <laughs> the simple man. Okay, so I know this isn't true, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Like there's a special place in hell for people that try to rip off senior citizens, right? I mean, I, I know there isn't, there's just hell, but there should be if there isn't a special place in hell. Because when I hear these stories of these, these elderly people, they may be a little confused already, they may be suffering some dementia, there may be problems, and you know, these scam artists, they pray on elderly people. They call elderly people knowing they're elderly and they try to convince them to give them information. They drain their bank accounts. Ooh. That, there's a part of me that I won't even tell you what I want to do to them because I like actually train on how to kill people. So like honestly, like it really bothers me a lot. That's my issue, not yours. But my mother-in-law called today and she told me that Apparently, someone called, left a message. She won the mega something, the mega millions or whatever, and uh, 850,000 she won, and she just needed to call them back. And I said, don't you even think about calling them back. And she goes, you believe it, I won. I didn't even, I didn't even play. She, she was being silly, of course. But she was still curious. I said, curiosity killed the cat. Stay away from this thing. So with people that do that, the simple man or woman will believe anything. Can you imagine believing you won the lottery and you didn't even play the lottery? But that's what happens. Well, maybe I played and I forgot. Well, you know, the, uh, but notice a prudent man gives thought to his steps. So again, if somebody offers you something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, it probably is. Okay, verse 16, a wise man... Fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. This is so good, right? A wise person, you fear God, right? So you shun evil. That means, that means you don't do the wrong thing. But notice, a foolish person is, as it says, hot-headed and reckless. Now, if you are like me, and you have a predisposition to being hot-headed, God help you, first of all. Second of all, you are going to have to retrain your brain. You are going to have to retrain your reactions. And it isn't enough. 
I, I hate to say this, but it isn't enough to just pray, oh, God, help me. You have to retrain your reactions. You have to learn to not react in a hot-headed way. And the only way that happens is by retraining the way you think about life and about dangerous situations, which was like one of the main reasons I started studying martial arts. During the time that people were, uh, it was like all the peaceful protests where they were burning down cities, that sarcasm, I kept thinking to myself, what if I were at a restaurant and my wife and I were eating and someone came up and touched my food? Like, that would be the end right there. Like, first of all, I wasn't trained on what to do. But second of all, really? You're going to stab somebody with a steak knife because they touched your food? In the past, probably. But now I've learned that it's better to walk away from a conflict. And when you train... In conflict, you learn how to control your emotions and your response. So you can walk away. But if you haven't trained, if you haven't worked on your, your, the way you think and how you react to situations, when someone provokes you, you're going to be reckless and hot-headed, and I promise it will not end well. Even if it ends in you incapacitating the other person, now you're going to spend I don't know how many dollars hiring a lawyer, and having to defend yourself in court, even if you were justified. And who knows if our court system will see it properly. So think about it. You really want to not be a hot-headed and reckless person, okay? That's a little bit of wisdom from my personal experiences. Now, in verse 17, it keeps on this subject. A quick-tempered man does foolish things. And we've already talked about that. But notice, and a crafty man is hated. So a crafty person is the person, like, they'll commit premeditated murder. Like, they're crafty. They think it all the way through, and they, I'm going to do... But the, the, the reckless person or the quick-tempered person might commit second-degree murder. They just, they just kind of like react to the situation. Both are bad. Both have in their hearts a plan to do wickedness, and situations arise which causes them to respond and to do the wrong thing. So that we learn there. Notice the simple inherit folly. And the simple in this context would be A person that doesn't think things all the way through, doesn't apply wisdom, just looks at life as like, oh, you know, whatever. The simple inherit folly. But notice the prudent are crowned with knowledge. We're back to that idea of knowledge coming to the wiser person. Verse 11, um, excuse me, verse 19. Uh, Verse 19, evil men will bow down in the presence of the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. That kind of speaks to the end result of evil and wicked men. Because what we're told is, ultimately, they will bow down to good people and the wicked will find themselves bowing down in the presence of the righteous. Or notice it says, evil men will bow down in the presence of the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. So uh, the end isn't good for the wicked. That's the point. Verse 20, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Now, this is one of those proverbs of wisdom that's just true. doesn't mean it should be, but it is. What we're learning here is the poor have very little influence. Poor people in general are ignored by society, by neighbors, by people who are on it. Why? They don't have anything to offer and so many of us, are, as human beings, are very selfishly motivated, right? We're in it for ourselves. This is generally true. This isn't true. shouldn't be true of Christians. But, I mean, after all, religion, pure and undefiled, is this, to minister to what? The needs of the widows and the orphans and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. But most of the world isn't like that. 
So it's very true to say that the poor are shunned even by their neighbors. But the rich have many friends. Of course they do. If you won the lottery, you would suddenly have 100 friends. Every neighbor on your block would want to know who you are and what you're all about. Why? Because you have money. It's just truth. Just truth. Verse 21, he who despises his neighbor sins, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. So there's the contrast to what we just talked about. This is the idea that, you know, if you despise your neighbor, then if your neighbor's poor and you don't help them, you despise them and you're wicked. But notice, the one who is kind to the needy is blessed. Verse 22, and now we get to what we, a little bit of what we talked about before, these ideas of having evil in your heart and in the circumstances bring it out, either by being crafty or hot-headed and reckless. Notice what it says, or quick-tempered. Notice what it says, do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. So in retraining your reaction to circumstances, if you're always plotting evil, like you're thinking, if this guy cuts me off, you know, you're plotting evil in your heart. You know, if, if my neighbor blows his leaves on my property again, I'm going to, you're plotting evil. You are. But notice, if you have a good plan, you're going to find love and faithfulness or show love and faithfulness. So the idea is like, okay, so you got in your mind, if this happens, then I'm going to do the good thing, right? Okay, so if this guy tries to cut me off, I'm just going to slow down and let him get into the lane. Am I going to lose anything? Am I going to, you know, is it going to like ruin my life that I slowed down enough for that maniac to cut in because he's been trying to cut in? Don't you love that? You get online to get on an exit and there's a line of like a mile and a half and some guy comes barreling down and then cuts in at the last minute. Yeah. Peace. You know what? Just let him in. For whatever reason, he has to get there a little sooner than you do. So that's tough, though, isn't it? You feel like you lose something if you do that. Like, you know, a great violation of justice has occurred. So those who plan what is good, find love and faithfulness. Do the right thing, basically. And, and, and plan on doing the right thing. When you're there, think about if this guy does that, then I'm going to do the right thing. As opposed to, if he does this, I'm going to throw a bottle at his car. All right, so all work, all hard work in verse 23 brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I mean, there's a so it's truth in there. Hard work. Hard work. Of course it brings profit. Talk about it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to work hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this. Well, that leads to having nothing, poverty. Verse 24, the wealth of the wise is their crown, but the folly of fools yields folly. So the wealth is the prosperity that comes to a wise person because they make good decisions and foolishness of fools or the folly of fools, it yields folly. It means all they have is folly. Verse 25, a truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. Uh, is deceitful. So someone who's telling the truth about something they saw may save someone's life if they're being falsely accused, but a false accuser he's looking to harm somebody. And so many times people bring these cases, frivolous lawsuits, they call them, you know, where nothing really happened, but they're saying it did. Uh, you know, it's deceitful. And they'll take someone else's money, even though they're completely unjust in doing so. Well, he who fears, in verse 26, he who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. So fearing the Lord brings safety, it brings protection to your home, and also to those within your home, in this case, your children. 
Verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. That's pretty much what we've been talking about. The fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. It's a fountain of life. It brings good things into your life, and it turns a man from the snares of death, keeps you away from the things that would entrap you and destroy you. So, the fear of the Lord. Verse 28, a large population is a king's glory, but without subjects, a prince is ruined. Now, this is very interesting because... In our nation today, I mean, we're organized by states, right? And certain states, you know, they all have governors, but certain states are losing population at at extraordinary rates, like New York, New Jersey to a certain degree, uh, certainly California. And most of those people are going to states like Texas and Florida, other states as well. Why is that? Well, because it's, it's intolerable in some of these states and some of these jurisdictions to live in some of these cities in these, in these states because of the stupidity of the governors and those who are, are leading those states. I've read I don't know how many articles about the, the exodus out of San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, uh, Austin, Texas, even though that's in a good state, you know, it, it's, it's a very liberal city. And I'm constantly reading these, these stories in Minneapolis, others. And essentially what's happened is the states are run so badly, the, the cities are run so badly that people are voting with their feet. They're just leaving. So here's what happens. A large population is a king's glory. So states like Florida and Texas, because they're growing, it speaks to the capability of those governors. But it, the same is also true, it says, without subjects, a prince is ruined. I mean, if you, if you have no one to rule, you're not a ruler, right? So as we see these cities in these states losing population, who's left behind? The homeless people sleeping on the streets, the drug users, the people who, you know, illegal immigrants, people who are feeding off the system. And he's ruined. The cities are ruined. So some of these Proverbs are very powerful and just so true. Verse 29, a patient man has great understanding, again, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. So patience contrasted with being quick-tempered, which we've talked a lot about. Verse 30, a hearted peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about this because I spent a lot of time cultivating peace in my life. Centeredness. I do. You can do that through exercise. You can do that through martial arts, qigong, tai chi, different disciplines that help you to relax and take care of your body, eating right, all of these things. A heart at peace. Do you realize that if your heart is at peace, you're probably not going to like have a moment where your blood pressure is super high and you have a stroke? You're probably not going to be unhealthy unless you're doing other things, that the heart at peace is the goal. And, you know, I'm really glad to say over the last couple of years there have been a lot of things that would cause your heart to not be at peace. In the midst of those things, certainly through spiritual disciplines, but also through physical disciplines, right, you can have a peaceful heart. And notice the alternative, though. Envy rots the bones, so if you're constantly walking around, oh, look at that guy, I wish I had that car, oh, look at his house. That actually eats away at your immune system, which is in your bones, the marrow. Those things that keep you healthy, it eats away at the very thing that keeps you healthy. It actually makes you sick. It actually makes you ill. Stress will do that, but envy will do that. Sin will do that. 
but we learn that here. So a heart at peace, that is, I have what I need. I'm satisfied. I don't, I don't need more. But if you're constantly looking for more, it rots your bones. I think we know that to be true. Verse 31, he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So, as Jesus taught us with the sheep and the goats, when you're kind to someone in need, you're really being kind to him. It's true. As you've done it to the least of these, you've done it also unto me. And what we learn here is if you're oppressing the poor, you're making poor people suffer, you're actually showing contempt for God. He's the God of the poor. And if you're kind to those in need, you're honoring God. So back to that parable or to that account of the sheep and the goats, I would, I would refer you to that as being the lesson here to be learned. Verse 32, when calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. But even in death, the righteous have a refuge. Now, I can only think of some of the calamities we've seen, you know, especially these recent, uh, the recent fires in uh, Maui, just a, a horrible situation there. Uh, there are people that died in that fire who were wicked and some were righteous. It, what, it, fire doesn't discriminate between the good and the bad. Calamity happens in life. And there are people, good people, who die in disasters, let's say, or earthquakes or tornadoes, right? All of these things. But when calamity comes, the wicked are brought down. Well, so are the righteous in the sense that the righteous oftentimes die. But notice the difference. I opened up by talking about the hope we have, that hope we have in Christ It says, but even in death, which is about the worst thing that can happen in this life, right? Even in death, the righteous have a refuge. Our refuge is in him. Amen? That's the hope we have, that even if you lost everything in a fire or lost your life, you find yourself in Christ in a much better place, not worrying too much about your belongings. Verse 33, wisdom reposes in the heart of the discerning. And even among fools, she lets herself be known. So if you're a foolish person, it's not as if you don't have the opportunity to employ wisdom or apply it to your life. Wisdom is there to be found. Verse 34, righteousness, oh, this one. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Gee, I wonder why our nation is in disarray and in trouble. I wonder why we have so many problems in our culture today and specifically in those blue or more progressive states where God's word is defied openly, flagrantly, publicly. Because righteousness exalts a nation, a nation, a group of people. But notice, sin is a disgrace to any people. And so we are living in very disgraceful times because sin is being embraced and, dare I say, not just embraced and tolerated, celebrated in so many areas. That to, to try to list it, but what would be the point? There's just so many areas. Corruption, I mean, my goodness, that, that as well. Uh, just so many areas. Sexual sin, confusion, all of the things. Abortion, murder. It's awful. And that's so true. Sin is a disgrace to any people. So we find ourselves as a nation not being exalted, being humbled. And I wonder, I oftentimes wonder about the calamities that happen. And the challenges and the difficulties and the lack of prosperity we're experiencing. Is that God's grace warning us, trying to get our attention, to show us that we need to be righteous in order to be blessed? Possibly. I believe so. 
Final verse of this chapter, verse 35, a king delights in a wise servant, but a shameful servant incurs his wrath. Now that's, that's twofold. First of all, it's just true. If there's a king that has a servant that's wise, of course he's happy. He delights in that. He has a shameful servant that embarrasses him. It incurs his wrath. But wait a minute. Let's apply it to us. Our king delights in us being wise servants and living lives that are wise to his glory and to our blessing. But notice someone who's shameful, a shameful servant of God, incurs the wrath of God. That is, God's wrath is against the wicked. And we are all or should be servants of God. Amen? Okay. Well, verse 15 is, well, let me just back up on verse, uh, chapter 14. I'm sorry. Again, we reap the results of the life we sow in this life and in the next, and it affects every area of our lives. We saw in this chapter that it affects our home life, our spiritual life, our prosperity, our intelligence, our reputation. It affects our happiness. It affects our future, our families, our success, our health, our community, our eternity. So this is why we need to apply wisdom. All right, chapter 15. Here we see we live lives, live our lives in such a way they're openly lived before the Lord and before others. Everything we do is open before him. It's open and naked before him with whom we have to do, the book of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 13. That is how we live. Everything we do, God sees. And a lot of what we do is seen by others. So all the more reason to make sure that we live lives of wisdom and character. And now we see in verse 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So how you respond in those situations will cause conflict or avoid conflict. That should be pretty obvious. So when someone tries to start a problem with you, your answer should be gentle. Not because they deserve it, but because it's the best way to avoid a conflict. Verse 2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. But the mouth of the fool, notice, gushes folly. Gushes folly. So it's like, it's just, there's no lack of foolishness that comes out of the mouth of a fool. Verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. We're back to that idea of God seeing everything. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Verse 4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. But a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. This has to do with what we say to others. We've talked about this before. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. You have within you the power to say things that will bring life and blessing to others. But you also have the power, as James tells us, to be deceitful with your tongue, which can crush the spirit of others. Use the things you say to bring healing, not crushing Verse 5, a fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence. That idea of being willing to be corrected. If you are a person who can't receive discipline, you can't receive correction. If someone tells you you're doing something wrong and you argue or make excuses, you don't understand discipline. Again, back to martial arts, all all I do is experience correction constantly. If you don't like being corrected, you can never study karate. It's constant. Just when you think you have it, you learn you're not even close. It's, it, talk about humility, you know. Uh, I, I'm always amazed at the senseis and their restraint in that rather than mentioning all hundred things you're doing wrong, they only mention a couple at a time. So correction is a part of life, though. And if you can't receive it, you're not going to prosper. You're not going to do well. 
All right, verse 6. The house of the righteous contains great treasure, but the income of the wicked brings them trouble. So you earn what you do. So you do the right thing, you're blessed, you're prosperous, do the wrong thing, you bring trouble into your life. Verse 7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but not so the hearts of fools. Verse 8, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. This poetically has two contrasts. You have the contrast, the sacrifice versus the prayer, and the wicked versus the upright. Now, generally, in a religious system, the sacrifice is viewed as greater than the prayer. So, oh, I bring this great sacrifice, especially in temple worship, right? Bring this great sacrifice Oh, man, I, I gave so much money. I, I brought this animal, this great sacrifice. But notice, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked. If you're wicked in your heart, it doesn't matter how much you give. God detests it. But if all you have is prayer and you're upright, that's what pleases him. I love that proverb. It's a good one. Verse 9, the Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves those who pursue righteousness. Verse 10, stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path he who hates correction will die. Back to that idea. You, you better submit to discipline and correction. Verse 11, death and destruction, that is the grave, lie open before the Lord. That is, he sees, understands it completely. How much more the hearts of men? I mean, if God understands things like death and destruction, if he sees it, right, and they lie open before him, how much more does he know the hearts of men? Our hearts are again. This, this, this whole chapter talking about this, this. We live our lives openly before the Lord and before others. Verse 12. A mocker resents correction. He will not consult the wise. And there you go again with that same theme. He mocks. He doesn't want to be corrected. He won't listen to anybody. This is an interesting one. Verse 13. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. But heartache crushes the spirit. See... When you look, I mean, people can hide it, but generally, a happy heart shows itself through someone being very cheerful. Unfortunately, heartache reveals itself differently. Now, that's both wisdom to help us to understand others and wisdom to help us to understand ourselves. If, if you're cheerful and your heart is filled with joy because you're doing the right things, that's a good thing. But you know, heartache, it's not a way to live. You don't want to live heartache, so don't bring more heartache into your life. There's enough heartache out there, even for the righteous. And it crushes the spirit. But understand that in the hearts of others. If someone is smiling, they might have a happy heart. Uh, if they're not, they, they might be suffering some heartache. You can read people. Verse 14, the discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. Notice we talked about before gushes folly, but this time feeds on it, feeds on folly. Verse 15, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. That contrast, those that are oppressed just have a wretched life. It's awful. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. That is, it's much better to be happy than to be oppressed. Of course, it's very true. So again, don't do anything to put yourself in a situation where you're going to be oppressed. Verse 16, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Isn't that just so true? You have, it comes up again in this chapter. I mean, better a little. Better a little with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom and just what you need versus all this great wealth and all that comes with it is problems. 
And it's restated another way in verse 17. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. So it's like the idea that all you have to eat is vegetables, right? But you're in a loving home and you're in a good relationship. No, you got this beautiful fatted calf, right? All the meat you can eat, but there's hatred in your heart. It almost makes you choke it up, you know, because it's just so hard to, to even digest because there's such hatred in your life and heart. Uh, okay, so we get to verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. We've talked about it already. That's the goal. Walk away from a conflict. Don't allow a conflict to happen. Do everything you can to keep it from happening. Verse 19, the way of the sluggard, that's the lazy person, is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. So imagine the contrast there, trying to get through a path with thorns versus traveling on a highway. That's, that's what it means to be upright. Greater opportunities for the upright than the lazy person, essentially. Verse 20, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Back in chapter 10, we saw a very similar proverb, and that's so true. You have the contrast of the father and the mother. You have the wise son bringing joy, the foolish man obviously bringing heartache. Verse 21, we're almost through. Verse 21, folly delights a man who lacks judgment, but a man of understanding keeps a straight course. Verse 22, notice plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Uh, They're building a home in our neighborhood, and the builder came in, knocked down the house, and then proceeded to build a very deep basement, but the water table made that impossible. So now, for the last couple of weeks, he's been filling it with stone, and today the concrete came. I, I only know all this because of the noise in my once peaceful neighborhood. Uh, I now live in a construction zone, unfortunately, but hopefully it will end at some point. But they bring in all the concrete. I'm seeing trucks and trucks of concrete and trucks and trucks of stone. Why? They didn't consult the right people. Plans fail for a lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. Verse 23, a man finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? Verse 24, The path of life leads upward for the wise to keep him from going down to the grave. Contrast of up and down there. (laughs) Verse 25, the Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. God watches over the little that the widow has, but the proud person, they could lose everything. God is against the proud, right? He resists the proud, he exalts the humble. Verse 26, the Lord detests the thoughts of the wicked, but those of the pure are pleasing to him. Now, this is interesting because we're back to this idea that God sees and hears everything. He knows our thoughts from afar. He knows our our, our, our sitting, our, our rising. He knows all of our ways, the scripture tells us. David tells us that. So notice the thoughts of the wicked. He detests, and and those of the pure are pleasing to him. So what are you thinking? What's in your heart? What's in your mind? Because that pleases God or doesn't please God. Home stretch here. Verse 27, a greedy man brings trouble to his family, but he who hates bribes will live. If you take bribes and you're corrupt, you're going to bring trouble to your family. I mean, we see that with a certain family that's in the White House. Verse 28, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers 
but the mouth of the wicked, again, gushes evil. We're back to that idea. Weigh your answer. Don't respond without thinking it all through. Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Verse 30, a cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Isn't that so true? A cheerful look. You know, it's amazing. If you see someone having a bad day and you just smile, I mean, it can bring joy not only to your heart, but to someone else. And, and try to bring good news, right? If you're always talking about negative things, I always call it negative chi, you know? Like you're always bringing negative vibes to every conversation. Oh, well, you know, this is horrible. It's like if you're that Debbie Downer type of person, uh, you're not bringing health to people's bones. But good news, and there is good news. Actually, we have some good news. What is it, the gospel? Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, right? Rose again on the third day and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. Anyone who receives him, they become his child. That's salvation, amen? Is that good news? And that gives health to the bones. Verse 31, he who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. Of course, you got to listen. You've got to be willing to be corrected. Verse 32, he who ignores discipline despises himself. But whoever heeds correction gains understanding. See that reoccurring theme of being willing to be corrected and disciplined. Finally, last verse of the night. Verse 33. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So God humbles us and brings us through humble circumstances that we might be blessed and honored. But it all starts with the fear of the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for giving us the time to go through these two chapters in your word. So encouraging to know these truths, that our words, they actually reveal our character, that our lives reveal whether we have wisdom or whether we don't, and that even our faces reveal our hearts and our true feelings. Lord, Help us to live our lives through our character and our actions and even the things we say and the way we look in such a way that brings glory to you and blessing to us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.